0: Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Gordon Phillips of Downhall. We talked about Against Me's 2007 album, New Wave. We also chat a lot about the idea of selling out and how that's not something people really care about anymore. Downhaul released Proof, on May 21st, 2021, and as much as Gordon hates promotion, it's a great album, and he should be proud of it. Check it out wherever you stream music, but also pick up a vinyl copy on their Bandcamp right now. Please check out the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinning out. My co-host Sarah and I are going to be back very soon with some exclusive content. Also check us out on social media, that's at Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Okay, let's chat with Gordon.
1: Hey Gordon, how's it going? i can't complain thanks for having me on your podcast
0: so today we're talking about against me's fourth album new wave that came out in 2007 on sire records Uh, it was produced by butch Vig, and it was number 57 on billboard 200 and what i'll ask is when was the first time you heard this record or just against me
1: great question um I first heard this record. So I was along for the press cycle in this record. So I heard the singles and I, this is back when records leaked. Um, and I heard it when it leaked, which was just sometime during the press cycle and before it came out. Um, so it would have been somewhere in the weeks or months before the release date. I, when I first heard Against Me, I got into Against Me after Searching for a Former Clarity and before a New Wave. So I got into Against Me, I guess, the third time they'd been accused of being sellouts. It was like the, th- the third time people were mad at them. Um, but it was the big one. It was the big the big condemnation
0: yeah i mean i feel like i'm jumping way ahead but i was just i kept thinking about that idea of being called a sellout and like if it really exists anymore like what would someone have to do nowadays to be considered a sellout by their peers
1: it's so funny because like now when people sign to big labels or labels that are like imprints of majors, like people are stoked on it and there's no, like uh turnstile comes Mm -hmm. to mind, you know, roadrunner is owned by, um, Warner music group. So like for all intents and purposes, turnstile is on a major label. And so is angel dust, you know, and like, I don't think anybody is holding against those bands, the resources that come with being on the label they're on. Um, but this was at a time where if you read Laura Jane Grace's book, and I'll probably talk about the book a lot during this call, um, she got a check for uh, $1.2 million mm-hmm. and like, walked into the bank and deposited a check for $1.2 million. <laughs> like That is so different than turnstile getting to spend... I don't know, what, three or four weeks with Willie Yip and Shahaken when they signed their major label deal? I mean, so if you're a punk and you hold yourself to this ethos, they are very different things to be mad at. They just look very different because, you know, a band like Turnstile signing to a major is such a different thing than getting handed a check for $1.2 million. Like, and then walking into your bank and depositing it, like not cutting up a million ways and and putting that account, putting that check in her bank account.
0: Mm, That's so does it specify that that $1.2 million was just for Laura Jane Grace?
1: No, it's for the band. That makes sense. Um, (laughs) I was like, what? But but they, you know, it's, it's just a crazy difference because against me, as far as I know, and, as evinced by it being the last chapter of, uh, Dan Ozzy's book, they were probably the last band I can think of to bear the brunt of that. They were the tail end of the CD era where bands were still selling hundreds of thousands of CDs, you know, successful bands were. Um, and then 08, 09 is when piracy really like, at least in my head, uprooted kind of everything yeah
0: i remember it being like a big discussion around that time it was it feels so silly in hindsight but i don't know i i was telling you when we picked this i was like i i really am not sure like why i kind of fell off because i spent a lot of time listening to like reinventing axl rose and uh as the eternal cowboy but then for some reason just fell off (laughs) And being sure. that the type of stuff that I would get into a couple of years later, like just kind of getting into like fast punk and more of that kind of things like power violence. Like, yeah, I yes. assume uh, that I was kind of wrapped up in the idea that against me were sellouts too, which feels like so silly in a way that I can't identify with that person. <laughs> but I know that I, that yeah. there were tons of bands that weren't against me. It was almost like, that was like a mantra that I knew for like other bands, but I think it was like so removed at that point. Like I, I didn't even realize why I wasn't listening to against me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It was a big thing.
1: And I, I think that clarity was a very easy record to let go of that band on. um, Because Cowboys, I want to say 26 minutes. Let me get this right. 25 minutes mm. and clarity is 47 oh, okay yeah so i mean it, it's like a pretty easy point for you to be like i am not really listening to against me anymore because at that age like you're a punk you're a teenager you don't want to hear a 47 minute album of anything, yeah you know? yeah like,
0: what's but this one is 33 minutes and that's yeah, I mean. and that was kind of surprising because knowing that it's their sire records, you know, major label de- debut, that I would have assumed that they kind of put all you know, put everything into it because a lot that's everyone's story. Yeah, you know, this is this is sure. the time frame where you write the hour long record because you just have infinite amount of weeks with Butch Vig, you know, but it's it's yeah. one of the well they have more concise records, but. For what they're given, it's a very concise record.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, um, well, the next one, also with Butch Vig, also on Sire, 50 Minutes, you know, and and to your point. um, But one of the, and the thing about New Wave, and actually against me kind of generally, is that New Wave had something like six or seven B sides, like songs that were tracked during the session. Fully tracked, mixed you know, and released as B-sides for seven inch singles and then put on like a new wave B-sides release. Um, So it's like they, I want to say maybe the total was 20 that they came to the studio with and then recorded maybe 16 or 17 and then maybe three or four didn't end up getting like fully tracked or mixed or something like that. It's the story. But, um, I think one of the strengths of the album is its brevity and the fact that like, you know, Laura Jane Grace has got songs. Like she's got songs, you know, as, as she's got as make songs as a day, as long she can keep going and going and going. Um, but I think the songs on here with like maybe one exception or two exceptions are just like so good together. And so like focused. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah what i i actually i feel like the record is really cohesive there are a few points where i'm like oh they're doing that like you know songs like stop you know and i'm like oh that's but when i think about it as a complete product it's like potentially if that's a if that's from me viewed as like a weaker song on a record yeah that's a good problem to have because it's not a bad song by any means it's just But and as a whole record, it feels like it allows it to kind of like open up in a different way that I wonder if without it, would it a lot of it feel kind of samey. So I think it allows it to kind of break, you know, the pace up some, you know.
1: Yeah. And I always thought that Stop was kind of like a spiritual successor to like Don't Lose Touch. Those two songs to me feel very similar. Um, and I think don't lose touch is kind of like in the same position and clarity and that it's kind of like a, a pace change an offset, like a straight up and down, you know, you're on the upbeat on the and Um, and I think that stop was like, I would be proud of that chorus if I wrote it. And I think I would probably keep it, but that chorus is just kind of like, Or Jane Grace can do better, especially when she was in like 06, 07, like really hot songwriting. Um, But also, I think there's like some really awesome rhythms, like vocal cadence rhythms in the verse of that song that maybe, um, and not to mention how tongue-in-cheek it is, and a lot of the stuff on this album is, she probably knew she was going to get rocked for selling out. So she's got a bunch of these songs that are like very critical of the, like being a big band experience and process. And, you know, like Sire Records gives you $1.2 million and you write a record where 30 or 40% of the lyric subject matter is just complaining about being in a popular band. Like,
0: Yeah. I, I even think like, when you think about like, I guess if this is their sellout record, you think about like other sellout records, like, just the fact that people were so bent out of shape about, well, this one, and then also, like, Dear You by Jawbreaker. It's like, oh with that gosh, much, yeah. with this much distance, it all just seems so silly.
1: It's so silly, you know? And, and and maybe, like, maybe it's something we just don't get, right? Because when a band that we, like, if somebody we knew got a check for $1.2 million, like, somebody we grew up playing shows with got a check for $1.2 million. Like, we'd probably feel some kind of way, you know, but that's not something that really happens anymore. Like, I, I've known friends from who are on big labels to get a budget of, like, $20,000 from, you know, your Triple Crown run-for-cover size labels, you know, or Epitaph size you know, this is a band who sold thousands of records and you signed to one of these dream labels and you get $20,000, yeah. right? And that sounds like a big amount. But you can spend that making the record. Like, I mean, I probably could. <laughs> but there are, are bands who could spend that amount of money just tracking. yeah, a- And, um, you know, just making music videos. Yeah, there's there's I so couldn't. much
0: like push and pull with that where it's like I try... I, I guess I understand this kind of notion because I feel like I lived through like accusing people of being sellouts. And, but then it's like as a full grown adult, like I see the other side of it. But I still feel like I can kind of empathize with some of the conceits that there's, while there's sometimes like an angry person yelling about Dear You on a Facebook group, you know, and they're too yeah. old to be doing that, there are other things that it's like, <laughs> there were bands that were put into this major label system that were never able to release their records at all. Like a lot of times, oh, yeah. like if a, you know, I think that they, against me, had the ability that they already were much more established, you know, and they already had other records. But, you know, it's like the post, like Texas is a Reason band, like it's like like yeah. the new Rising Suns, or I, I don't know if that's their name, but something like that. But that label's just you can get it, you can download it, but it just never got released. Sure. And so it's like, who knows how much money that got. You know, so that that rec those type of records are just floating out there because they weren't able to produce a hit. And even yeah. situations like if you think about like bands like Jawbox got signed to major labels, you know, but other than the checks they got that yes, bought them studios or houses, which are great, it didn't really amount to a crazy amount and it also you kind of wonder in those situations that they they almost assumed everyone was going to be like the next nirvana or the next whatever you know and then so it's like green day yeah like everyone's not going to be green day you know it's like it doesn't a lot of times it doesn't make any sense
1: and 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 i get the notion that like if you're a musician who is like playing 150 180 shows a year right and you're working just as hard as against Mm -hmm. me you know you're your hot water music or someone like that, you know, bands that play the same tours, the same shows, like, and you now hear that Warren, James, Andrew, and Laura don't have to worry about washing dishes at home from tour or waiting tables or getting that coffee shop gig again because they just got to check that they're covered. Yeah, You know, they can sit around in the practice space and work on songs all the time. Whereas if you're hot water music in 2005, you probably still wait tables when you're home from yeah. tour, you know, and you probably still live in a punk house or share a practice space with a bunch of other bands or something like that, you know? And like, I can see how it would be easy for people who were like, they are kind of in the trenches with them to like look kind of across the room at these people who now get to just do their band. Yeah with no concern whatsoever about the financial perils. And they get to buy a van that's always going to get them to the next stop. They get to do all this stuff. And, and I can see how that would be something that other bands, especially bands who think they are working just as hard, who think they are just as good as you, who think they draw just as many kids and sell just as many T-shirts. It's like, why did these guys get the $1.2 million check from the same label to sign the fucking replacements. You know, like I can see why people who are like very much in the scene in the trenches or whatever would be, um, jealous. But one of the big things about new wave, and this is what kind of like won me over at the time. And I think is like almost an understated component of it is the production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it is Butch Vig, but what I will like take to the bank is I think that record sounds like Against Me. Yeah. If Against Me set up in 2006 in your living room and played the songs on New Wave, I think Butch Vig captured that. And because we all know what Butch Vig can do when he's not trying to do that, right? right? We've all heard Nevermind. I think it'd even... I don't know how much time he's done with this record, but the very next Against Me record, which Butch Vig also did, is huge. It sounds... I mean, it's like... It's the Nevermind sound. It's walls of guitars, and they're trying to have a hit, and it's mastered. You know, the, the dynamic range of that next record is here. Yeah. Whereas New Wave, I think, is like a pretty faithful depiction of what that band sounded like at that time and that's why i as a 15 16 year old self-identifying punk was able to be like you know what like i really like this record and i really like these songs and it doesn't sound like the radio to me it doesn't sound like um, turning on for me it was xl xl102 it doesn't sound like that to me.
0: Did, did you have in your ear anyone telling you like, oh, this band's a sellout or did that kind of miss you?
1: I definitely did. I had, um, I grew up maybe like 45 minutes from DC. So the like runoff from like the discord records through kind of like mindset was like very big with my friends and with the college kids that we thought were really cool. Um, that was very much like the ethos of like our local all ages shows it was like very informed by like <sighs> DIYs has become such a four letter word, but like actual DIY, like what you yeah. and I think of DIY as spray painting CDs in the garage, you know, like what DIY actually meaning do it yourself? Right. That is like the ethos that was kind of passed down from the people who put on the shows we grew up attending, my friends and I, And also I, that was like kind of like for me, maybe like 2006, 2007, 2008 was the start of really interacting with music Mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, I was a punknews.org guy. um, And, you know, so many bands I loved, I just discovered from clicking links on punknews.org. Um, so the, the, the party lines on that website were very much like, you know, against yeah. me sold out kind of thing. Like there would be an against me post and it, the comments would just, you know, go and go and go. And I wasn't even like hopping into the comments and waging war. You know, I don't think I ever even posted, but I would read every single one of them, you know, and I would be kind of impacted and influenced by the thoughts that these strangers had about bands you know and it's kind of funny because like i have like preconceived notions about bands that were like uh kicked off by a stranger on a message board 15 Mm -hmm. years ago and like i I don't even know why it's because some random person's username was like uh no these guys sound too much like loved ones these guys sound too much like rancid you know and i'll just be like yeah, that band's just, like, copying Rancid. <laughs> Never actually heard that band. <laughs> you know, like, Um... But it's, uh... It, it was definitely something I was aware of. The notion that they had done something wrong. And that... Um... That, like... It was, like, wrong think to enjoy the music. Or to... Have the record on when your friends came over. Um... But at the same time they were getting actually like pretty big crossover appeal like i know some of those songs got a little bit of radio play um the album was like spin mags album of the year which is like huge for a band that was on fat rec as yeah. of 18 months ago you know like um so they ended up having some pretty big crossover success i would go to like Barnes and Noble or Borders, and like see their faces on magazines, like on on, on the cover of Alt Press or um, yeah, like Rolling Stone coverage and stuff like that, and I'd be like,
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's when why when I think mad, about it, yeah. like kind of being into like punk and metal at the same time. Like I wouldn't have had any qualms with any kind of metal band that had just got signed to like Metal Blade or Roadrunner, like we were talking about. But it's right. like because of right. where they had started, it was yeah, it was an issue in my head for some deep seated thing that doesn't make sense now um but I, I would have not cared about like I don't know if kill switch engage or whoever had yeah. done something similar like it it just it wouldn't have mattered, you know, look, thinking about those same magazines,
1: and, it, it, and it's it's the classic kind of like were people mad on the merits of what they did or were people it's not mutually exclusive were people mad because they had made themselves targets for so long by being so against corporations against major labels against you know money basically you know for a long time they were anarchists and they were radical in their politics and they were doing it themselves. And they were, you know, they did this whole documentary about... Um, have you seen the documentary? Mm-mm. They did this documentary called We're Never Coming Home, which is in, like, 04, 05. and it is about the time period between Cowboy and Clarity, where they were being courted very heavily by major records, major, major record labels, and they made this, like, 50 minutes on YouTube. It's hilarious. They made this like fifteen minute kind of like documentary about what it's like to be courted by major labels. And then at the very end, they re-signed with Fat Rec um to put out clarity. And in the book, Laura is like, yeah, the amount of money we got from Fat for the third record was two hundred and fifty grand. Yeah. Like that is still a staggering amount of yeah. money for a- so it's not like they were like yeah, so we re signed to Fat and we paid her the record ourselves and we got jobs. No, like we re signed to Fat for a massive amount of money. Um, and they got called sellouts for it. You know, they got called sellouts when they first signed to No Idea. They got called sellouts when they first signed to Fat for Cowboy and people were mad at them for signing to Fat Records yeah. for Cowboy. And then it really, all the wheels fell off when they went with Sire. But. Um, so I think they might not only have been people that been mad at them from like a punk standpoint, but I think people were mad at them specifically because of the positions they would taken just historically about punk, about labels, things like that.
0: Yeah. And I guess like thinking about you again with it. So I guess you were kind of like soaking it in, but you were still like enjoying the record. Like it didn't, Yeah. it didn't yeah. like maybe we were like, well, but I like it, you know, I'm not sure if it went further than that, because I mean, I had the same things, it was like, they tell me Green Day is, you know, bad, but I like this album, you know, so it's like, I'll just listen to it on my own.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'll have it, and it was a point where I never had MySpace, my first social media was, um, I think I had, I was late to Facebook, I, I, I got Facebook and Twitter around the same time, early for Twitter. Um, But so there was no aspect of listening to music that was sharing or like performative Mm -hmm. for me at this point. I was posting like a five by five, you know, I wasn't scrobbling on last FM yet. I was just listening to my music. Um, There was no like trying to look cool by, letting people know what I was listening to other than t-shirts that you were at school. Yeah. But, um, so I was listening to against Me's new wave record a time, all the time I was listening to it. Um, because there was no way anybody could find out and make fun of me. Mad <laughs> at me. Yeah.
0: Do you think that there would have been people like in your, uh, friend group that would have
1: totally. Yeah. Okay. There have been people who would have been like, Oh, those guys are sellouts. You should be listening to, xyz yeah you know, instead um and, and i didn't feel any shame but i did know that what i was doing was uh punk wrong
0: yeah yeah that's always been like a struggle for me not that it was like i felt like it's like i ident- i identified as a punk but i knew that i wasn't that all the time <laughs> You know, it's like, yeah. I felt like I, because yeah. it's like you hang out with people that it's like, you feel like that's their personality all day, day in, day out. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. It's, so it's exhausting. You guys are
1: punk for breakfast? <laughs> like, no, I support major corporations every morning for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember, my yogurt. <laughs> yeah,
0: I remember, um, like I was in like a fast punk band and just two members of it. And then like someone that was in like we shared a practice space with these people, they would talk about how against me were like sellouts all the time. And I think that's where some of this was just like in my head with it. And then I remember we went to go see uh, this band Rambo uh, for their last show in Philadelphia and uh, Drop Dead played and Drop Dead had a, just like they were talking before a song and he was talking about how you can't it's like you shouldn't consider, like, if you're vegan, if you're straight edge and, uh, you know, or like if you are consider yourself a punk, but you like smoke cigarettes, you're supporting big corporations. But these people that were in the car with us, they would talk about like how against me were sellouts and talk about not supporting corporations. But I remember the conversation then because both of them smoked was, well, it's punk if I smoke because he tells me I shouldn't. And then it was like, Oh, you don't really have any morals. Like you can Yeah. You can say <laughs> just, you can say that he is correct, but just choose not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah, it's like I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not perfect, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's it is a big corporation. And you are yeah. adding to yeah. something weird <laughs> if you espouse yeah. these beliefs. If you support those corporations.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and the funny thing is like, um, you know, some of these companies that we rely on to make our music are huge corporations. Yeah. Like, just gear companies, um, like, any number of companies that are like necessary for creating music you know, these days it's so hard to make music without a computer. Like the computer companies are huge. Like how much of our being in a band is done on social media using our iPhones. Like it's and like how Spotify is the easiest it's ever been to check out records. Like,
0: yeah, I put this, I put this podcast on Spotify.
1: Hell yeah, you should listen to it. You know, like, (laughs) um, It's that meme where it's the guy in the barrel and he's like, society should be improved somewhat. And the guy in the barrel is like, yeah, you participate in it. I'm very intelligent. You know, like, (laughs) yeah, um, yes. It's that meme over and over and over. Yeah, that's where it gets
0: difficult because I feel like then that's where it gets so arbitrary when someone like against me becomes the target of it. Because it's just that (laughs) there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. You know, exactly. it's like you have to have an idea of where your personal line is and wherever that may be, but you can't, you just simply can't exist if you don't participate in these things. That doesn't mean they had to get signed yeah. to Sire, and I don't even care at this point, but yeah. you know, it's like really what's the difference? If we're talking fat records and we're talking Sire, what yeah. are we, what's the difference we're talking about? Because I would assume if Against Me still owed, Fat Records, they don't own their masters from that. Yeah, you know maybe yeah. they've negotiated it since, and we're getting to maybe. the business of yeah. all this stuff. But like, yeah. you could you could really just be looking at the same exact thing at the, at the end of the day.
1: Sure, sure. I mean, is Against Me ever gonna recoup 1.2 million dollars? No, you know. And did everyone in the room know that when that contract got signed? yeah it, it's just it's the name of the game right like for every band that these major labels signed between 1990 and 2010 right every lottery ticket that these major corporations bought they succeeded at, at a hit rate of what like three percent two percent but 1%. if you, yeah
0: but if you had one nirvana and you had one pearl jam those but, 20 yeah. other bands that's right nirvana or pearl jam paid for it that that's
1: that's the the price of admission that's how it works and you see people doing it now on a lesser degree taking flyers on these like random tiktok artists who go viral a couple times and end up on some huge tour or whatever and you're like what like they are touring with xyz huge band and it's like yeah because someone somewhere took a flyer on them hoping they'd go viral again and like and that's what major labels have been doing since Nirvana, basically. And uh, and I think that against me was in such a unique position, like I said, because they made themselves targets. But also because, like, we were in the second Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Everybody was mad. Um, and... A lot of people saw punk rock as like. They saw punk rock as kind of a safe haven for. And it was, you know, it, it still is for a lot of people. And then Against Me kind of thumbs their noses at it and after riding it for so long. Yeah. And then, you know, and then they tore with Blink on 82. <laughs> and everybody's just kind of like, oh, so that's how it's going to be? Like. You're not going out with Alkaline Trio anymore. You're going out with Blink-182. Like, yeah, yeah we're going to fight you in the coffee shop. We're going to throw things at you while you're performing. We're going to pan you in MRR over and over and over again. Yeah, so like, but that's
0: where it gets so subjective because I actually feel like in my friend group, like Alkaline Trio for a longer period of time was viewed as like subculture. For yeah. some reason. And they're yeah. like, I think they're also on Sire. Or they're on something yeah. that's basically the same thing. I don't even know. You know?
1: Yeah. Alkaline Trio was somehow insulated from this. That band was huge. Yeah. That band, like... or um, And uh, another one that always comes to mind for me is Anti-Flag. You know, like... Anti-Flag gets to sign to a major label without people obviously there's a sub, there's a subset of people that lost their minds when they yeah, like a major herb, but nothing like what against me had to deal with. Um, like getting attacked in public and like people like pissing on their stuff and pouring bleach on their merch and like,
0: I, yeah, I remember that.
1: And, and, and there were people encouraging that there were people in bands getting on the mic being like pour bleach on against Me's merch, you know? And it's just like, you could do that then because there's no Twitter or whatever, but like MRR and issue after issue after issue telling people to protest against me shows, telling people to turn around when, when against me is playing. Like, can you imagine if like an underground publication like that just like started targeting a band now? Like, I kind of think what the parallel would be. MRR is still MRR, but at the time it had a lot more sway. It'd be like if, like, I don't know. Who knows like, at this point
0: what <laughs> it would be? Yeah, yeah.
1: there's yeah. probably no equivalent to MRR. It wouldn't be like
0: a print thing. It would just be no. Twitter. Be some
1: kind of yeah. Some <laughs> some some big spokesperson on Twitter just singling out a band, you know, and um, like Anthony like uh,
0: Anthony Fantano or whatever it's yeah is. Or,
1: or, or someone like that someone like that the <laughs> big platform singling out a band in a way that's not like this band's music is bad which is fine i don't really yeah. bother me at all but being like disrupt this band mm-hmm. like it, it, inflict like inflict bad things upon this band and that's what mrr did for like a long time and there's that lyric that's like um in MRR, someone asked the question with the insane availability of communication is content. So attainable is the culture now part that's disposable. Are the punks still singing the same song? Um, So Laura Jane Grace was just kind of like, you know, come get me MRR. I think that you're disposable. I think that you're like, I, I think that what you're doing now is irrelevant. I don't think anyone needs you anymore. Yeah. Um, and that fan the flames even more,
0: you know. Yeah, I mean I think there's like a point with like with them jumping up to a major, it's like they probably still had an instance where like punk would have eaten them. Like it's like with these type of bands, like the scene eventually and not all the yeah. time, but they just kinda like have like if you are outspoken, like we've been saying, that essentially at some point like it will eat you and this is yeah yeah and i i don't want to like mince words and make it sound like i'm going into like a cancel culture rant or something sure. but yep. you know so uh it's just it always felt that way for against me like even early on like like yeah i remember that instance of people like like in wilmington at like the soapbox you know this was probably even before you know even when you think about things like like it's like Jimmy Eat World signed to a major label like at the beginning of their career but yeah. they were still playing like people's kitchens after that yeah. you know and so yeah. to kind of like even with them it's like they still had to like suffer maybe not in the same ways that other bands that just didn't have any money some money went in their pocket and then they just played shitty shows for a long time so then it's like what are we truly mad at
1: yeah and like Laura Jane Grace is going through, like, you know, borderline suicidal because of the gender dysphoria that she's experiencing at the time, right? And, like, going through this crazy, crazy life stages and, like, and at the same time, people are targeting against me for being sellouts, right? So, like, against me getting a huge check from Sire Records, like, did not make Laura Jane Grace's ride a smooth one you know like she went through stuff that like uh, no amount of money could have mitigated or like insulated her from um and and it's funny because a lot of how she kind of handled it was like what you don't understand is this is the third time this has happened like when we signed to no idea records yeah people were furious at us you know because we were supposed to apparently um labor in obscurity for years and years and years. We weren't supposed to sign to no idea records and then after Axel rose, we signed to fat and people were furious at us again like fat records in two thousand and two wasn't making anybody rich <laughs> um, you know three or four years later, when you get the two hundred fifty thousand dollar check for clarity, that's a little different. but when you think about the amount of money that $250,000 is at that time. Um, There's a song where she rattles it all out, you know, ten percent 5% to management, 10% to the representation, da, 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 da. like that check's getting cut down a lot. And eventually the four of you spend the money to go record with Jay Robbins. And then like that $250,000 check they got from fat records probably did not go all that far. But the 1.2 million check, that probably went pretty far. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would have to guess that went pretty far.
0: Yeah. Do you think that there are, well, I know there are people maybe that are of a certain age that still think this way, but do you think like younger generations still process things in this way? Does like being punk in this fashion still exist?
1: <laughs> I'm inclined to say no. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that. In kind of like the TikTok generation, like it's about flexing. Mm-hmm. It, it it's about showing off. It's not about looking like an authentic artiste who is struggling and you know sleeping on a mattress on the floor. I I I think there is a subsect of Twitter people who like to posture as if they are broke artists or whatever. But I think for the musicians that are getting big off TikTok or whatever. Um, no, I think they want to flex. I, I think they're, you know, buying Gucci and, and stuff like that. I, the Gucci belt was like the best selling accessory for two years in a row or something like that. Nobody I know is buying Gucci belts, right? Like, um, and you know, sneakers were back in a big way. When I was a teenager, I was sure as hell not spending hundreds of dollars on sneakers, right? Like I wore the same sneakers for 15 years. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that it's, I think that the people who are trying to, I think the mainstream is oriented toward flexing. I think there are starving artist types who are out there, um, but I don't think they care about punk as a set of ethos, really. Yeah, and
0: I, I think, like, just based on the... I feel like we were kind of of a generation uh, that kind of had one foot in, one foot out, so it's like we can kind of view it from a different perspective, but yeah. I personally feel like I'm constantly plagued by that notion of, like, punk, and I, and I'm not so much tethered to it now, but I feel like in some ways, like as much as I identified as punk, I feel like it's held me back in, in a lot of ways. Like it's, yeah, it's a limiting mindset, you know, yeah. but I also yeah. don't feel like I would, I mean, I'm not buying Gucci belts either. So, so then <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. stuck I mean, in this it. in between where yeah. it's like, like, yeah. it's like, if I, if I try to talk about my own band, it feels gross to me to flex yeah and it's hard yeah. i can't do it so whatever it is yeah. it's just i don't have that aptitude for it and i think that's that other that's the foot and the punk it's like this humble thing do you and i'm probably projecting it on you do you feel like that uh kind of humility or kind of not yeah. flexing has yeah. like held you back in some way
1: yeah it, it's almost like the opposite of fake it till you make it um whereas like there are people who are very focused on like the image of being in a band or like they want to good friend of mine uh, always says everybody want to post. And the idea being like, everybody wants to be on tour and post pictures under the arches in St. Louis or at the golden gate bridge, or, you know, they want to be in Brooklyn. Everybody wants to, Everybody want to post. Everybody wants to, like, have the image. But for me, like, self-promotion does not come easily. Like, we put out a record this year, right? And I'm already, like, people are tired of hearing about our record. I need to stop posting about it. I, The record's over, right? Like, the record's done. And that record came out less than five, five months ago today is when it came out, right? Like, yeah. Because I'm just kind of like, people don't want to hear this from me. People are tired of this. Um, And like, part of that is that like, it sucks that promoting a record is almost now synonymous with posting on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, it's the big artists who get these big machine behind them who get to avoid that, right? Like, if you're in a huge band you don't have to post on social media. Yeah. There's a whole machine that's doing it like doing it for you. So like I always tell people that like none of my heroes were content creators, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like when people were like, "Oh, well, it's time to promote your record, so let's make some content." Like whew. You know, like I, the last thing I want to do is create content. Like, I want to write songs and I want to play them with my friends and I want to put them out and then I want to do that again. Like, that is what I want to do and what I care about. And I think a big part of Against Me's calculus was we want to do that as best as we can mm-hmm. with the most resources we can and with the farthest reach that we can. Summon that we can muster so like if you're against me and you're going to work your ass off on this record you know fat is going to do a pretty good job promoting it right because they're a relatively large label yeah but sire is going to do a really good job sire is going to like there is a part in the book where she's talking to i think it's an ar a and r from sire or universal or someone when they were trying to sign them and um the ANR says what we're doing is putting uh jet fuel on a moped is <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of the sire machine promoting a band like against me. Um, and like, so part of the decision they made was like, we're going to give our new record the best chance we can. We're going to give it like the most jet fuel we can. And, um, it reached a ton of new listeners and they got to go on some crazy tours and they got to spin mag, like how many fat Wreck albums end up in spin mag? You know, like it's a question that answers itself. Like I, and I think what they did was, I think, I think it stands up. Like, I don't know what that um, record would have sounded like without, Uh, butch dig producing it i don't know like cowboy and clarity both sound the way they do um, because they were not sire records budgets and uh, it's just like the the things that are good about new wave to me are also a product of being on sire Mm -hmm. so it's hard to divorce those two things i guess
0: i was trying to like think about Kind of like how we got into that last part because i like how you weaved it back to against me you're doing a you're doing a great job with that <laughs> so
1: we're, we're talking about the idea that like is self-promotion punk and like does punk limit kind of like the way that you're able to like set out promoting yourself mm-hmm. and like for me it, it it for me it's more just like shame right and I don't know how much of it is tied to punk. I don't know how much of it is, like, a psychological thing. But, like, a big part of it, and I'm not fishing for compliments, is just, like, not thinking that we are that good. Mm -hmm. I don't have that attitude. Like, I'm very proud of whatever we make. But I don't have the attitude where I'm, like, this rocks. We're extremely good. Everyone needs to hear it because everyone would like it. I will not have that
0: attitude. Yeah, that's a that's a, also a weird concept too, and I struggle with it because I don't. I never set out with making any sort of music that it was going to be big, and I that might say something about me and my self confidence. But I feel like from the scenes that we came from, there were, and I know I've said this on this podcast, but it's like I was happy to just burn a CD. Yeah, you know and then yep. it's like it's just like how do you get like that back or so so it's hard to kind of to what you're saying that it's like when people are like this didn't succeed and it's like motherfucker it never was built to succeed that yeah, wasn't the point jet and fuel in a good a moped, <laughs> on you you in know, a like... good way and but even sometimes it's like so yeah the jet fuel on a, a moped thing it's like it makes me think, like, Against Me is a great band. I, I really like this record, and I'm glad that you yeah. brought it to me because it feels like just like this is just yeah. a great rock yeah. record. Yeah. But when you think about like any of our like friends' bands, you know, yourself included, it's like I feel like any major label or bigger label could do whatever magic that they, they, they do to any of my friends' bands, and they could succeed. You know, if if sort of the magic and the ethers, but talent wise, that I think what I'm getting at is just like the idea that people go because something was successful, it is good. And it's like, yeah. there are times yeah. where there's lots of like, no one would ever say that about like Lungfish. Like no one would ever say that about like other bands on Discord. Like no one, or like how big <laughs> were some of these like, yeah. you know, emo bands, like how big was Braid? But Braid is yeah. good. But I don't sure. know how many units they moved, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, we could, like, list bands forever. It's, like, yeah. It's like more listeners a month or more units sold doesn't always equate yeah. to, like, good. It does, no. It's not that it doesn't, no. because no. uh, yeah. this yeah. is a good record, but yeah. there's not always a one-to-one.
1: Yeah, and, and for me, it's always the one that I always come back to um, is John K. John K. Sampson. Yeah. If there was justice, he would be huge. You know, like, I don't know someone that's heard his music and been like, eh. Like, if you hear a song that John K. Samson wrote, like, his songs are good songs. Some of the best songs you'll hear. He is just good. Like, straight up, he is good. But he never enjoyed you know, commercial mainstream success at the rate you'd think he would, you know, like his monthly listeners get dwarfed by Flavors of the Week and by algorithm bands, and by, you know, TikTok artists and things like that. Like, and it's part of it, it's like, man, there's no justice. This sucks. Part of it is like, take comfort in what you're doing because there are people who are like greats that are not that never get their due. Yeah, you know, I mean Jason that's a, that's
0: a great way to put it because it's because like, it's like I struggle and I don't want it to sound like negative, but it's like I listen to tons of things that don't have whatever amount and yeah. I don't need that for it to cosign for me to listen to it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's like So why should your music be held to a different standard than that? Yeah. And it's, like, and part of it, I think, is, like, a byproduct of the Spotify era. Like, monthly listeners is something that is fascinating from, like, a purely intellectual standpoint, but, like, crushing from, like, a self-worth artist's perspective. Like, it is intellectually extremely cool that we can compare... Fugazi to Drake, you know, like, (laughs) but that's, that's where it's
0: funny. Like, it's like Fugazi should never have been compared to Drake and that's to no discredit of Drake.
1: Yeah. Or or like, or, or like these legacy bands, right? Like how much bigger is the Foo Fighters than Rancid or like, how does the offspring stack up against Big Thief? You know, like Spotify Is the, to my knowledge, the only time that the casual listener is able to one to one compare bands across generations, across genres, across, you know, like scenes and sub scenes. And it's a flawed metric for so many reasons, right? There's so many reasons monthly listeners are not an adequate way to, like, compare a band's popularity at any given time. That conceded. It's fascinating it really really is um but it's also super damaging for people who are making music and allowing them to interpret this as comparison you know and my mom always told me growing up that comparison is the thief of joy and like it is and um like look at john k Sampson's monthly listeners that he is always the one i come back to that if there were any justice in the world, John K. Samson would have more monthly listeners. Yeah. I mean, like I, I'm gonna put that on a T shirt or something yeah. like that.
0: I mean, I'd be lying if it if I said like it doesn't bother me at times, you know? Yeah, of course. And, yeah. You know, it's like I'm not saying I'm above it and I know you aren't either. So just in case anyone had that thought that we're just two <laughs> aging uh, losers complaining about things. Uh yeah. you know, but so right around the time or before the time of like have Heart were doing their reunions I remember seeing someone tweet something like, "They don't have that many monthly listeners." Like it was like it was like six thousand or something. Whatever the number was, it doesn't matter. Sure. And they were like, "How is this selling out?" Like, what is? It's like they couldn't wrap their head around a world that existed before this. And it's like they stopped being a band. So people that had it listening to it and they listened to it, whatever format they did, they just weren't actively. And a lot of times, like. Bands, like, we've been on tour. There's a lot of bands that we've played shows with, or we've been those bands. Like, we roll up to a spot, and, you know, either no one's there or the band with a lot of monthly listeners. But, like, you go to, like, a lot of hardcore shows, and they have, like, 200 monthly listeners, but there'll be, like, hundreds of kids there or something. Like, there's a real-world equivalent that doesn't translate if that's the only place you live in.
1: And I think hardcore is specifically like a really good example because, like, those bands are on labels that do not get Spotify playlist placements as easy as the indie rock labels. Or, like, a a huge band in the hardcore kind of arena could go a whole album cycle without getting a single Spotify playlist, you know, or like not getting a single algorithm bump. Whereas, On the other side, some of these, like, pop rock, indie rock bands will be on eight or nine at any given time, right? And it's just, like, crazy to behold. Like, there were times I would go look at Turnstile's Spotify during their album cycle, and they'd be on, like, no joke, like, ten different Spotify playlists. And, like, I love Turnstile. I think they're an awesome band. But, like, XYZ band on Triple B, who is a really good band is not going to get a single one of those playlists just because triple B or locking out or, you know, whoever doesn't have access to that same industry infrastructure that, uh, roadrunner does. Yeah. And like,
0: but it's funny. Cause it's like, if I, when I was younger, if I would have had something, cause I'm thinking of like specific, like triple B bands or something like, like bands like freedom. It's like, they have like really overdriven bass and then you know it's kind of blast bd parts like just a basic de- put it down to its basic tenets that's that's not built for playlisting and that's fine right <laughs> it yeah. never yeah it never was it never was meant to yeah anytime i played in a fast punk band i mean that stuff didn't exist but you assumed you were playing someone's bathroom or something you know yeah yeah <laughs> And that was fine
1: and and you'll play to more people in the bathroom than you would if you were able to get a hold at the local 200 cat because like people that are hanging out at their friend's house who's housing hosting a show that's more likely than someone paying twelve dollars who's never heard of you or you know seven like i very rarely go see a bill if ever where i don't know anybody any of the bands playing like but back in high school when my friends would have house shows I would go out and just to hang and see every single band, you know, and discover bands I still listen to that way. Like it's, um, there is a world beyond Spotify, beyond pre-sale tickets, beyond whoever APA is booking this given year. Um, And I hope people know that. But it's just so easy to get in these internet bubbles and rabbit holes and like uh, cults of personality that like people lose sight.
0: Yeah, and I guess, like, even thinking about bringing it back to Against Me, it's, like, they had an era of time where they were, you know, it was, like, acoustic guitar and then broken drums. That was, like, a lot of their early era, Yeah, yeah. Know? And it was, like, squats. Yeah. Know? And then, it's funny to think that if someone would ever, I guess, I wonder if anyone ever, like, feels like they didn't earn it, but I don't know if that's ever, because <laughs> it's, like, there's nothing, yeah. like, if you know anything about their history, they earned it if earning it is even like a metric why people get signed oh yeah yeah Yeah, i
1: mean they they played hundreds of they played so many shows you know like they played shot shows they played sold out shows they played everything in between and they had people literally attacking them in coffee shops like they they paid their dues for the people that really require bands to, or want to see that bands paid their dues. You know, like Against Me did, and um, there's a video of a house show they played in Chicago in like 2015, like a pro shot, good mic'd house show that Against Me played. And before they played, Laura Jane Grace is like, we haven't done this in some time. But we do know how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and like starts the set and it's awesome. Um and, and so part of it is like if somebody has to be on a major label, which they do, you know, the major labels need to have artists and they're gonna get somebody, like is it so offensive to you that it's someone who has played thousands of shows, or is it like more palatable to you that it be TikTok artists? Like, if somebody has to get that infrastructure, that financial security and that support, like, I think I'm okay with it being someone who did what I I do uh, musically. And, like, I think I can sleep at night with that. Whereas in 2007, there were people that couldn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like thinking about any of our kind of, like, extended acquaintances, bands that have signed to Epitaph or anything i sure. can honestly say there wasn't an ounce of like why did you do that you know yeah yeah <laughs> like and that's it like where like... we've come it's like i'm like of course you would and also like good for you
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, does your a like my band yeah, yeah that. <laughs> it was never like what people don't realize is that like There are labels where signing is a large opportunity and a large boost and a large financial, like, injection of support. And then there are labels where, like, it's basically just a loan with a really bad interest rate. Yeah. Or um, you just really don't want to do mail order. There are labels where you just, that is what you are signing up for. You are, (laughs) you just don't want to do mail order. Yeah. But, like for your friends that are signing the first kind of record deal, the kind that is like an actual step up and boost and like going to take them a place they couldn't be without it. No, I've never been like, um, aren't you a little concerned you might be selling out? Yeah. Never crossed my mind. It's always like, Oh my gosh. Like that's amazing. Like jealousy. It's not like concern for their ethics Yeah, that I've felt, you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I'll say about this record is that, like, it is such a contrast to Searching for a Former Clary, which is 17 minutes longer and has all these acoustic songs and all these kind of, like, plotting, kind of, like, obtuse, dense kind of songs, whereas, like, New Wave really is, like, no filler, no skippers, just, like, straightforward, rock songs produced in a way that i think is really flattering and um i think that like if it were a new band's debut album people would have freaked out you know like but uh, so much of like the tainted legacy of new wave is tied to the selling out stuff and um and that kind of sucks for me to think about because it is a very special record to me and like it's very important to like my musical development and like it got me into a bunch of stuff i probably wouldn't have gotten into if not for it um for example i first discovered the gaslight anthem because warren drummer from against me was wearing a gaslight anthem zip up and i was like i wonder what those two words are and i looked them up and like discovered a band that became one of my very favorite bands because against me is drummer on, like, the New Wave tour, I think it was, was wearing a Gaslight zip-up. And, like, it, it, I, I, I can just tie so many things back to New Wave. And um, I, I think that, like, people who are still, like, fucked that record are, like, just, it's just silly. It's, like, a silly position to hold, and, like, you're robbing yourself of, like, what is, to me, a really good rock record.
0: Yeah, I remember a time frame right when... I don't know. Fifty Nine Sound came out. Like they, they played Lunchbox Records, and there were like that's amazing. There were like fifteen people there. Yeah. And then less than a year later, they were huge.
1: I saw them at the Canal Club in Richmond playing the one of four spot. They played a five song set, and the next time they came through, they were headlining the National. Like they literally went from opening like a pay-to-play show to headlining our local uh like 12 1500 cap just like straight up you know like a, it was awesome and they deserved it and that's another podcast for another day <laughs> but like I, I i think part of and like against me didn't have that you know like against me there it was just a very gradual incline like against me was always working and always grinding and like for punk to turn their backs on against me is like for me like super performative cuz like yeah. it wasn't tied to their personalities it wasn't tied to the music they were making you'll you'll meet people that'll tell you it was tied to the music oh that new wave sucks but like if you saw them live it like you wouldn't be able to be like, oh, this is a new wave song. You know, it it literally be like part of the set. It'd yeah. Be the next thing in the set. Mm-hmm. And so like people that are like, oh no, I didn't hate against me because I'm posturing. I hate against me because new wave was bad. And it's just like,
0: yeah. And it's like when I think back to like dear you, it's like if a band made dear you like a few years later, everyone would clap and celebrate. But it feels like they yeah. had to just get beaten the shit out of and break up and go through their torment for. <laughs> 20-some yeah. years. And Against yeah. Me is kind of similar. It's like, I sure. mean, th- they've survived, you know, uh, but, you know, and then it's like they did this so that someone like Gaslight Anthem could kind of run with it, or even like down to Menzingers, you know, it's like they don't, yes. you know. Yeah. And the, Menzingers are a band that had a long journey to where they are, yep. but it's yep. like, no one ever called Menzingers sellouts.
1: Exactly. You know, and that's the that's main That's exactly point. right. And, and, like, people that know The Menzingers personally, not me. I don't know them, but like, I don't think anybody who knows the Menzingers personally would be like, uh, "Don't do that." When they're presented with these, to your point earlier, right? Like, nobody in the Menzingers' life would ever be like, "Hey, are you worried about MRR telling people to pour bleach on your merch?" Like, nobody would have to have that conversation with the Menzingers. Yeah. At any point in their ascent, you know, it's just like. It's, yeah, it it almost is like if you went up to any of your friends and you were like, would you sell out? They wouldn't even be like, well, what do you mean? They'd be like, of course I would (laughs) sell out. You know, like, would you sign to XYZ imprint of a major label? Yeah, totally. I I don't even care if they own my masters or if I'm locked in for four albums or what. I'll sign right now. I don't care what the the contract says. You know, like, the answer is yes, I would sign to a major label. Like, but against me, I had to go through this crazy and jawbreaker, you know, these tribulations. And I'm excited to read the book, Sell Out. Yeah, I'm and, glad that uh, we're
0: promoting Dan Ozzie's book for him.
1: Yeah, Dan shouts out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take our free copies. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's timely, not just because of the book, but it's like a fascinating idea that, like, this is a band that worked for so hard for so long. And when they got a chance to take this opportunity, they didn't. They filmed the documentary making fun of it. And then they took this opportunity. Whereas now, like, I'm going to tell them like a boomer here, but like teenagers are getting this opportunity because of their TikTok accounts and before ever playing a show. And people were like, oh, hell yeah. Like XYZ teenager signed to UMG before they even wrote a song. And it's just like but this band has played a thousand shows and released three full lengths. is going to get harassed by people that they don't even know for taking this opportunity.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm not even mad about that TikTok thing happening. It's, it's just, it's frustrating because of all the turmoil. When you think of like someone like against me, it's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It should be the other yeah. way, but you know, it's,
1: and, um, and, and, the funny thing is, against me, is just the story that I know best. Um, I, I know that there are bands who had way worse experiences selling out, you know. And um, it, it, this is just the example that I was loosely there for. You know, I I, I wasn't around when they got accused of selling out the first two times. Um, and I wasn't in, like... A very punk crew or anything like that you know i didn't live in florida I, like but i was aware of it, and it like, like we talked about so yeah it, it's, it's fascinating and like i encourage everyone to listen to the record and sound off in the comments below if you think it sucks but i i i, I don't think that's like a defensible take i don't think that that's like not valid to me yeah <laughs> i can't like, well, I, I can't hate. hear it. yeah
0: like i i like a lot of records that are bad and this is not one of them yeah
1: Yeah. I mean it 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 is good songs, performed well, recorded well, and arranged in a way that is flattering to them. And it has sick album art. Like I I don't know what like I don't know what more they could have done to make I think it I think it's like its legacy is literally just a byproduct of being the last band to sell out.
0: Do you feel like younger people Do you hear younger people bring up against me as like a reference or at all?
1: No, I, I, um, I think that Laura Jane Grace has relevance as a minor celebrity. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, having such a public persona and being kind of a, not a pundit, but like a big personality, yeah. capital P personality in music. I, I, Lord Jane Grace is bigger than Against Me, is what I would say. Um, and I don't know of anybody younger than 27, 8, who's like Against Me is one of my favorite bands. I don't know what they're, they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. But yeah, yeah. None of my friends list, none of my younger friends list them as a fave or put them on when I hang out with them or like pick them up at the record store. Like I know, I, I think that against me is a band that is very people who are, what do you think? 28 to 40. Yeah. Somewhere in that belt. I think that's, um, and it, I had tickets to see them right before the pandemic happened. And I bet you the demographic of that show would have been 28 to 40. I bet. I, I bet there wouldn't have been a lot of people younger than late 20s.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like, um, against me, when you're, like, writing songs in downhall, do you feel like it kind of shows itself in your songwriting, maybe even in just ways that yeah. you may only identify? Yeah.
1: I, I actually think that it fucks me up in a pretty big way. It kind of, like, derailed my development as a songwriter because, specifically, uh Laura Jane Grace is a lot more reliant on rhythm than melody or rhyme. So especially in verses she will kind of like rattle through um stanzas and she'll string together a lot of like slant rhyme, like approximate rhymes or words that just don't rhyme at all, but she'll get to fit into a verse using syllable emphasis and using cadence and using kind of like intensity um, in a way that hooked and informed like my own approach to writing lyrics. So like I have a big problem with using big words in a way that I should not do, but for me, they are often the syllable match that i need to get to to set up the next line so like i don't write a lot of really big hooks i don't write a lot of like repeating lines and i think that is because laura jane grace is such a rhythmic and like lyric kind of oriented like she especially in this era like cowboy clarity new wave she is so interested in getting to her next point, right? Like, I need to diss managers. I need to diss booking agents. I need to, you know, address my gender dysphoria. And I need to, like... I mean, she turned the word Condoleezza into a hook. Yeah. The whole chorus of the song is Condoleezza. Like, that settled in with me in a way that people who were into Blake 182... Did not, right? Like Blink on 82, you can sing whatever you want as long as it's catchy. Um, And and I never got into Blink. I was into the super wordy, super like syllable oriented, like tick, 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 like verses. um, and, And I think it's probably one of the bigger, if not the biggest songwriting influence. And like one of the things that she does really well that I don't do well is like write politically and write about um, because like a lot of times I'll write a song that is overtly political and just think, man, this is really corny or like, man, no one needs to hear this from me. I sound like I'm preaching or I sound like, you know, somebody just posturing or, or like trying to look woke or whatever. I, I do not write topical songs well, but um, Laura Jane Grace, especially in that middle era of records did that so well that yeah. like it instilled in me the idea that I should be trying to do it um
0: yeah nothing in this record really stands out in a way where I'm like even if it is a dated reference it just works in the song you know so it's yeah. like I mean that's ultimately what you would hope for like nothing sure. like I feel like you can kind of listen to it and for what it is as a rock record and not really I I barely thought about the fact that it said Condoleezza, you know, in a song. Like, it wasn't, it was just, it goes through you, you know, it's... Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's, you know, there's a song that's, like, I think it, it, it there's a song, White People for Peace, which, like, the song is very tongue-in-cheek in in its title, but, like, it, it opens up, and it's, like, East and West could not agree, so the generals, you know, gave, come together troops at the border, and, like, the whole point is that, like, the two sides in this war are just East and West, quote unquote. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't. And that's like her whole point. And it made that song timeless. Like it literally didn't matter who the two sides of this battle were. They were East and West. And like, it's a protest song. It's an anti-war song. And here we are probably 15 years after she wrote it. And I still hear it. And I'm like, yep, that's what happened. You know, like, She's a crazy process. She talks about it a lot recently and, like, the way she approaches songwriting and, like, how structured her songwriting process is. And, like, it's inspiring to me. And I'm like, I need to be more intentional and deliberate about setting aside song, songwriting time. But, like, um, I think she's still got some good songs in her and I hope that they're against me songs and not solo songs, just <laughs> kind of selfishly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're very due for a new record. And i'm saying yeah yeah. it's like i can't believe that it's been that long for them like it's 2016 so it's like there's got to be one that they've been sitting on or maybe
1: yeah or or, or songs that they practiced maybe before covid that have just been shelved i i couldn't be more stoked and i really hope they have something sooner than later because the band um, I did not go to the fest where they played the first four records in full, but there's a YouTube video of them playing the first four records, um, and they just sound incredible. Yeah, like they are—they are such a good band. It's—it like, was they,
0: a big, really big area that they play. I mean, it's like an outdoor venue. Yeah, and it yeah. was, but it was still too many people. Like, it, yeah, I remember not going in because I could just listen to it and um but it's you know it sounded amazing which is really hard to do at that space that outdoor yeah. space and just like everyone singing along but it's like you go there at like three in the afternoon it's like half full and that's realistic but it was like everyone at fest yeah was there.
1: yeah <laughs> against me he's gonna play all four of their first records yeah i would have been there i mean and, and like i i think that you know adam adam is such a good drummer like When they replaced Warren, I had mixed thoughts because they replaced him with the guy who sucked. They went to another guy who sucked, and then they got Adam, and I was like, I love that guy. Yeah, he's a great drummer. He is so good. Yeah.
0: But I guess, like, even thinking about uh, so, Downhall released a new record this year, and I I know you don't like promoting it, but, uh, you know, um, it's an amazing record. Uh, Thank you. You know, seven minute opener song um i am a i am a big fan of that move um i think that i think that was a great move that's what i'm gonna thank say. thank you yeah. thank you yeah um, but yeah so you know i i wanna it's like i wanna avoid saying like what's next for downhaul especially with like yeah, yeah, you know, it's like it feels so cliche um
1: no but i i think that we're so we didn't play any of those songs live mm-hmm. um and we have some shows coming up in december and Um, we're going to be able to play them for the first time live. And and that is something that is exciting for us. We are practicing them and trying to polish them up in a way that is as flattering as possible. And um, we're excited to get to play them and and see what happens, you know, um, beyond that, you know, we've got some new songs we're working on and I'm not sure whether it will be singles or an EP or we'll just keep saving up toward another LP, but, you know, it always, I have this weird, like, I have trouble writing new songs when we have unreleased songs. I have to, like, get the last thing out before I can really start on the new thing. So I, like, didn't have any new songs. And then we put the album out in May and then I have, like, these new songs start coming and I'm like, yeah, it was just like a a log jam from, like, not getting the record out. So. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good to be working on new stuff. It feels good to be preparing for shows, um, and, and honestly, just to meet up in practice feels great. Just meeting up with the guys and playing the songs that we worked really hard on. Like, I mean, so much of a band is posting and like thinking about the next thing and trying to like posture and scheme and get it just right, you know. But like, at the end of the day, you none know, of that stuff is like why my friends or I do this and like that's important to remember like we do this because it is fun and it feels really good and it is a release and like even if we never got another retweet like they can't take away from us like meeting up in the basement with the amps and like playing the songs like there's nothing that and I feel sorry for people that don't get to experience it because there's nothing better than that for me like that for me is what I want to do like i don't want to get my picture taken i don't want to like i i I just want to turn the amps up with my friends like that's that's where it started and i hope that's like i hope that's something that i'll always get to do
0: well i appreciate you for taking the time to talk with me it's been amazing and i appreciate you for kind of making me listen to this record i you know i'm going to listen to it forever now good good yeah Welcome back. Thanks again to Gordon for coming on the pod. It's great revisiting against me and reconnecting as a fan. Also, check out the new Downhaul album wherever you stream or buy music. Okay, next week we're chatting with James Goodson of Daisy. We talked about the Jesus and Mary Chains 1992 album Honey's Dead. Had a great time catching up with James. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com spinningoutpod, and follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Just a note, next week is my birthday, so maybe say some nice things. Maybe. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Matty for the theme. See you next week.